0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Let me ask you a question. You glad to be at church today? All right. I like it. We're going to have a good time. I can already tell. Uh, Well, if we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. Uh, Speaking of that, if you have a copy of God's Word, physical or digital, why don't you meet me in the book of Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. While you turn there, let's celebrate a few things together. Uh, As we say each week here at BT, we believe in a culture of celebration, and uh, we believe that celebration is a discipline. If you don't do it, you get bad at it, and we don't want to be bad at celebrating uh, all the things we have to be thankful for. So let me just share a few things with you. Uh, First off, we have some VIPs with us. That's first-time guests, both in the room and online. So let's again make some noise for the VIPs today. So thankful to have you here. I uh, got to meet, uh, met a few of you already, and so I pray you're blessed by your time with us at BT Church, and I pray that God speaks to your heart today. If you haven't done so, just want to remind you, if you would text us at 97000 type the word BTVIP, one word, no space, uh, we'd love to answer any questions you might have about our church. Uh, we also want to welcome the BT Online family. Let's make some noise, McAllen family, for BT Online today. Glad to have you tuned in from wherever you you are. I hope you did have a great weekend. I hope you got to spend some time with family. We do remember that uh, Friday, November 11th, was Veterans Day. And so, listen, if you're in this room and you are a veteran of the Armed Forces here in the United States, would you just stand real quick so we can thank you for your service to our country? Any veterans in the room? I know we got some. Awesome. Thank you so much for your service. And I'm thankful you're a part of the BT family here today. We are thankful for the freedoms we have to be here today worshiping and thankful for those that are currently serving and have served to continue to protect those freedoms. A few other things we want to celebrate. You know, one of the things we want to do at BT, uh, we love South Texas and we want to engage South Texas and reach South Texas. And uh, really our primary avenue is is through our weekend services. We try to gather and and have services that make you want to bring your friends so they can come and hear about the good news of Jesus. But we, we also try to build relationships. We do things like Harvest Bash a few weeks ago where we had a free event here at the McAllen campus for families to come and have a fun, safe night. We build relationships with businesses and schools and first responders, and um, Peter Limonas, who leads our community engagement ministry, shared with the staff this week that, that right now, and you know, it can be hard to track these things, so I get that, but, but based on what we've been able to do and the way we've been able to reach out, uh, what it looks like is so far this year, BT Church has been able to connect with over 25,000 people in South Texas through the various partnerships and relationships that we have built, and so let's celebrate that God is extending... <clears throat> Our reach, right? Um, We obviously, we're not seeing 25,000 people come to church on a weekend, but we believe that every moment we have uh, to build relationships is a possibility of a bridge that God's going to use to get to somebody's heart. Uh, And then ultimately, what we celebrate most off is that uh, so far this year, 338 people have said yes to Jesus, asking him to be the savior of their lives, having their eternity rewritten. And 194 people have been obedient with what we call Believer's baptism. Entering the baptistries of our campuses saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. We call it believer's baptism because it's a decision that believers make. According to scripture, we believe that baptism does not does not make someone right with God. Uh, baptism is not a means of salvation. It's displaying that salvation has been attained through faith in Jesus Christ. And so maybe today you're in this room or you're watching online and you have that relationship with Jesus, you've said yes to him, and you have him in your heart, but for some reason you have not been baptized, you haven't made that decision. I want you to know that we would love to talk to you today about the decision of baptism. Uh, We've got shirts and shorts and towels, we've got warm water on a cold day, right? And so we'd love to celebrate your baptism if you're ready to make that decision today. Uh, Well, as you are in Exodus 14, we are continuing on in our series entitled, Moses, cleverly about the life of... Nothing gets by you guys, yeah, uh, and so uh yeah we we're we're doing a really high level walkthrough of the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, learning about the 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 man Moses and what was happening historically, but really wanting to learn more about our God. We're in week four of the series. If you've missed a previous sermon, you can catch that online. Go to our app, download our app, or go to our website. Or easy way to do it is go to YouTube, search BT Church, and find the sermon there. Subscribe so you get future alerts. But what we've done so far is we've, we've really walked through chapters one through four. And, and what we have found is that there is a, a, a major shift in the relationship between the people of Israel and Egypt. You see, when the book of Genesis came to a close, Israel had a pretty good relationship with Egypt. Egypt was in power, uh, but because of a man named Joseph, who was a, an Israelite serving as prime minister of Egypt, if you will, he was able to bring his family and his ancestors, and they were able to have territory in Egypt during a famine, and, and things were going pretty well. But when the book of Exodus opens, what we learn first off is that 400 years have passed since Joseph's death. And there's a new sheriff, a new king in town. They're called Pharaoh in Egypt. There's a new Pharaoh, and the new Pharaoh did not remember Joseph. And so roughly 1 to 2 million Israelite people have now become forced slave labor. Egypt was built on the backs of Israelite slaves. They were an oppression and they began to cry out to God, and God, excuse me, God heard their cries. And what we learn is that when the people of Israel are multiplying, and Pharaoh's like, if these people ever figure out there's more of them than us, we're in trouble. And so he ordered that all the Hebrew baby boys would be murdered, would be killed. And a woman has a beautiful baby boy and she can't bring herself to execute him so she hides him as long as she can and then she puts this infant in a basket and sends him down the Nile River along the banks where none other than Pharaoh's daughter would find him and this baby boy that we know as Moses would actually be raised in the court of Pharaoh so a Hebrew child raised in the court of the king so really he grows up with an Egyptian upbringing We know that he knew of his heritage, though. We also know in the text that his mom was able to nurse him and be with him for several years, most likely. But one day, while Moses is walking around, he sees the Egyptian taskmasters, and one of them is being particularly cruel to an Israelite, and so he strikes down the Egyptian. He took matters into his own hands. Never a good idea. Next day, he sees two Israelites fighting, and he kind of chimes in, why are you guys fighting with each other? And they say, what are you going to kill us like, the Egyptian? And he knows the secret's out. And out of fear of Pharaoh, he runs and ends up in a place called Midian, and he would there meet his wife and start a family, and he would be a shepherd for 40 years. One day, while tending sheep in Midian, he sees a bush that's on fire But it's not burning up. And he's like, hey, that's a cool party trick. Let me check it out. And and so he goes to see this thing. And then the the bush speaks. It says, hey, you're on holy ground. Take off your shoes. And, And then there's this powerful exchange. And it's the living God speaking to Moses. There's, by the way, been a lot of debate amongst scholars about this critical moment where Moses says, who do I say is sending me? There's this exchange, and God is saying, I'm going to send you to Egypt to release my people. And Moses says, Who do I say is sending me? And there's this powerful response where in the Hebrew, God responds with the word Yahweh. And if you've ever heard the word Jehovah, those are the same. The reason why we hear the word Yahweh and they hear the word Jehovah is that when Yahweh was taken into German, they didn't have the consonants to match it up. Let me just give you Chris's own conviction here. If you're in the habit of using the covenant name of God, I encourage you to use the word Yahweh, not Jehovah. Uh, You're like, well, what's the big deal? It's his name, right? Uh, If your name's Tom and I call you Tim, it's just one letter. What's the big deal, right? Uh, Anyways... But what I'm getting at is that there's been a lot of research by scholars that are de- 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 debate what does this word mean? It's actually a verb, and, and, and different English translations will translate it as uh, I am, or I am who I am, or I will be who I am, and there's been a lot of discussion as to what does it mean that, that God chose the word Yahweh, and, and I'm not saying there's not maybe some benefit in that, but this is what I think happens sometimes. I think people with too much time on their hands and too big a brain start dissecting everything and and I believe that the power is not actually the definition of the name but that God got personal with Moses. Moses said who do I say sent me and God didn't say the Lord of hosts or the Lord of I mean all the names of God he gives a personal covenant name he says Yahweh and so we can spend so much time Joel, what does the word mean that we forget the fact that God got personal right and then Moses starts arguing with God. He's like, hey, listen, I don't talk well, and, and I'm not the smartest guy, and, and I, there's better people. And he starts to argue with God as to why he should not be selected. And that's what we've covered in Exodus chapters 1 through 4 today. We're going to jump to Exodus 14, and that's a pretty big jump, right, for all my fellow 80s kids. We've just gotten in the DeLorean. We have the flux capacitor fluxing, and we are jumping forward, right? For all of you they are like, what? Back to the Future, check it out. Second greatest movie ever made after Rocky. Anyways, um, we're we're jumping ahead. You're like, well, what do we miss? Well, you've probably read the story or seen a movie, but let me just fill you in really quick. This is what happens. When when we leave Moses arguing with God in chapter 4, Moses is pleading with God that he would avoid this epic showdown with Pharaoh. In chapters 5 through 13, Moses has an epic showdown with Pharaoh. Moral of the story, don't argue with God, he wins, right? Moses was pleading with God to avoid this. That's what happens. Moses would go before Pharaoh, and if you've maybe heard this phrase, the ten plagues of Egypt would happen. Uh, there would be the the Nile River turning into blood. There would be flies all over the land, and then gnats all over the land, and frogs all over the land, and then people got boils, sores all over their body, and 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 then uh, you you had uh, darkness all over the land. You had livestock dropping dead, and like with each plague, Pharaoh would say to Moses, "Hey, hey, hey okay, okay, okay. I'll let I'll let the Israelites go. Just." Ask your God to end this plague. And so Moses would pray and God would relent. And then Pharaoh would go, ah, just kidding. (laughs) And time and time again for nine consecutive interactions, Pharaoh would say, okay, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. No, I'm just kidding. And so then finally God says, okay, I've had enough. And the tenth plague would be the angel of death. Where the angel of death would go through Egypt, and the Israelites were given instructions to mark their doorposts in a very specific ways so that the angel of death would pass over their homes. That's why we get the word Passover. And every Egyptian home with a firstborn male lost that firstborn male. And that night in Egypt, there was weeping and there was wailing. And finally, Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, Get out, go, I'll pack your bags. And he relents finally and the people of Israel, one to two million people now are making their way out. And By the way, they're not leaving empty-handed, they're taking gold and they're taking silver. They're leaving, they're not leaving as slaves, they're leaving with wealth because God changes our position, right? And what happens in the story today is what we see is that while the people of Israel are now making their way out, there's this moment where Pharaoh sees his wealth leaving, his workforce leaving, and he says, what have we done? We've got to go after them. And so we're going to see in Exodus 14 the pursuit of the Egyptian army against the Israelites. And what I want to talk about is what do we do when we feel there's no way out? What do we do when we feel there's no way out, when there's no way forward? How do we continue to trust God? What I want to share with you are three thoughts that I think we need to keep at the front of our mind when we feel that we are in a situation where there is no way out. This is Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of uh, pi hah between Migdal and the sea, you must camp in front of baal facing it by the sea, Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, so the Israelites... Did this? Here's the first thing we got to be mindful of when we feel that we're in a situation where there's no way out, when we want to continue to trust God. Here's the first thing. Write this down. we got to remember that hard hearts hurt. Hard hearts hurt. I, I guarantee you many times when we find ourselves in situations where there seems like there's no way forward, somewhere in that trajectory there's a hard heart. And if we're honest, maybe many times it's our own hard heart when we feel boxed in, when we feel there's no way forward, when we feel that trusting God is not something we can continue to do, we've got to remember the fact that hard hearts hurt. Now, we read the story here, and it can seem kind of harsh because in verse 4, God told Moses, hey, y'all are going to set up camp right here. Like, y'all just left, but go ahead and take a breather. Go ahead and set up camp. And then in verse 4, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will come after you. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, this this just doesn't seem fair, Chris. Hold on. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. and, And so Pharaoh didn't have any choice in the matter. He chased after the Israelites. And if you know how the story goes, spoiler alert, he chased after the Israelites only to find himself drowning in the Red Sea. How is that fair? Now, let me do two things really quickly. Let let me talk about a theological subject of the sovereignty of God, and let me talk about it biblically and then convictionally. That's what I mean. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about this subject, I'm going to share with you my own personal convictions. First off, what we have to remember is this, is that in the book of Exodus, long before the phrase, God hardened Pharaoh's heart shows up, it says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In fact, it's not till after the sixth plague that God, in the text, hardens Pharaoh's heart. And, and so let me, let me just say a few things. One, the Bible is implicitly clear, explicitly clear, that, that God is sovereign. And I believe, and I'm going to speak to believers in the room, okay? So if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, what I'm about to say might offend you, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will heal that, Okay? But if you're a believer, let me just say some very direct words. It reveals human arrogance when we want to question the operating methods of God. The Bible is clear. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. By his grace, he has made himself relational. He has revealed himself. But we do not understand all the workings of an infinite God. And it is arrogance to assume that we do or that we're entitled to that. We talk about the story of Noah, where there was no one righteous on earth. They had all turned their back on God, but God saw this one man who still was seemingly righteous, and so he instructs Noah to build a giant boat called an ark, and when he gives the reason why, he says, because it's going to rain. My own historical opinion, I don't think it ever rained before then. So Moses is building a boat for a rain that he had never even seen happen. And then when Moses completes the ark, you know the story, he and his family, all the animals get in it, God seals the door, it begins to rain and does so nonstop for 40 days and nights, and every person on planet earth outside of Noah and his family drowned. And listen, that's tough. That's tough. And I've I've heard people say both outside the church and inside the church, I don't understand how could God do that. And that is arrogance because the actual astonishing part of Genesis 6 through 8 is how would God save a sinful person like Noah? How how would a holy set-apart God continue to dispense grace to fallen people, the, the, the part of the story that should overwhelm us is not that everyone besides Noah drowned, it's that Noah did not. And so if, if God has chosen in the story of Exodus to harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would have no choice in the matter and he would be used by God to bring himself glory through his destruction, we are not in a position to question God. And here's a freebie, if you've said yes to Jesus, and you find yourself wondering how God, who's so loving, can do things that seem so harsh, you have stopped being overwhelmed by the fact that he has saved you, and you've got bigger problems. When I stop being overwhelmed that God has reached down from heaven and called me by name and made me his son, when that doesn't overwhelm me, and I have room to question how God operates, I've got problems, not God. Okay, you're like, wow, this is going to be a good one. I feel super encouraged. Stay with me. <laughs> let me recap what I've just said. The Bible's clear God is sovereign. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. That's clear. It is possible that God has chosen in his sovereignty to, to use people like Pharaoh simply for his own glory and it resulted in their destruction. That is a biblical possibility. Now, let me give you my conviction The Bible is also clear that God desires that no one would perish. The New Testament makes it clear that all are aware of the glory of God, Romans chapter 1. And so I believe that God in, in abundant grace makes it possible for everyone to choose to respond to him. I believe even Pharaoh. That's why it says in the text that Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then it says God did it because eventually God gave Pharaoh over to his sinful flesh. Here at BT, every single weekend, we present the gospel as clearly as we can. Some people say, oh, you do that every week, and you do that sinner's prayer, and you have people raise their hand every single week. In fact, if you're kind of new, you've been here a few weeks, you're like, you're going to do that every week? We're going to do that every week. And if you don't like it, probably not the best church for you. And the reason why I will do that every single week is because I'm convinced that God, in his great love for creation and in the, the extension of his grace, he gives everyone a chance to respond. At the end of the day, no one stands before God with an excuse. That's Romans chapter one. No one stands before, what about the person marooned on the desert island? Well, when we meet him, we'll figure it out, right? But at the end of the day, I believe biblically and convictionally, everyone has a chance to respond. And so I don't know who's watching online or sitting in this room that that has not said yes to Jesus. So by the end of today, you're going to have a chance to say yes. What I don't believe biblically is that everyone has unlimited chances to say yes. And so let me just get to the invitation early. If you felt the Lord knocking on the door of your heart, if you have heard his still small voice, if you have felt the wooing of the Spirit calling you to himself and you have resisted because you don't understand it all, if you've resisted because you got questions, if you've resisted because you're saying, well, Chris, I want to do the God thing, but I'm still young and i got to kind of do my thing. I'm not here to scare you. I'm just saying God is calling you and he is calling you to himself and I don't know how much longer he's going to do that. Because eventually he might just give you over to your hardened hearts. And it's not popular, but it's Bible. If you do not respond to Jesus in this life, you will spend eternity apart from him in the next. And Pharaoh had willingly hardened his heart time and time again. And then God said, you know what? I will use you for my glory still. You have hardened your heart. I will give you over to your selfishness. And you will still, you will still cry my name. You will still be used for my glory, even in your destruction. And beloved, sometimes we feel like there's no way out because we've allowed our hearts to get so hard. And don't don't believe the lie, hard hearts always hurt. What was the extent of damage for Pharaoh's hard heart? Well, for starters, Egypt went through nine plagues and then a tenth that took the firstborn male from every home. To continue on, the entire Egyptian army would drown in the Red Sea, as we're about to read. Don't believe the lie that you can hold on to that bitterness in your heart today. Don't believe the lie that you can harden your heart to the things of God and that somehow you can contain the damage. You have no idea the extent of damage that your hard heart will create. Hard hearts always hurt. And many times when we harden our own hearts, we find ourselves feeling like there is no way out and no way forward. Verse 5. Says this: When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen, and his army chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the, by the sea beside pi uh, ha in front of baal zephon As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up, and there were Egyptians coming after them. And the, the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? By the way, on behalf of my generation, Generation X, we did not create sarcasm. Right there in the Bible, okay? <laughs> did you lead us out so we could die here? What have you done to us by bringing us out of egypt isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Verse thirteen great response, but Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. the Lord will fight. For you, you must be quiet. Just a few things. First off, sometimes we miss the working of the Lord because we will not shut our mouths. (laughs) He says, hey, shh, the Lord is going to fight for you. Just hush up and watch. And by the way, let me just point this out. Last week, if you were here, Danny preached, and what we saw, we we saw Moses continually debating with God how he wasn't good enough. He was filled with doubt and questions and worry. But yet today, when the Israelites kind of say, hey, did you bring us here to die? His response is, no, 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 no. Just wait. You're going to see the Lord's salvation. You're going to see the Lord work. And some people will say, oh, well, Moses grew as a leader. It's not about that. There's nothing wrong with growing as a leader. I just, this is like a freebie here. I think in the, in the world, but in the church, like we elevate leadership. If everybody's a leader, guess what you don't have? Followers. And everyone's a follower, by the way. It's not about Moses growing in leadership. It's about Moses growing in faithfulness that he would, in chapter 4, be like, God, I'm not good enough, send somebody else. And then in chapter 14, while they complained to him, and this is why I'm not Moses, there's lots of reasons, but here's one. Because if I'm Moses and they're like, did you bring us here to die? Are there no graves in Egypt? Don't you remember we told you, leave us alone? I'd have been like, no, you actually never said that. I was minding my own business in Midian tending sheep, and then a burning bush that wasn't burning talked to me. And you know what it said? That you were crying. That's a straight-up lie. We said, leave us alone. They never said that. But the growth in Moses' faith is on display because his response is, no, 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 Just, just wait. You will see the Lord's salvation. In fact, the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. Just shut your mouth and watch the Lord fight on your behalf. Beloved, when we feel that there is no way out, no way forward, and it is a a, a struggle to trust God, here's the second thing we've got to fix our minds on. Never forget this fact. God doesn't leave you to lead you. He doesn't lead you to leave you, I mean. God does not lead you somewhere to leave you. The Israelites had witnessed the ten plagues. God's power on display time and time again. God had led them to this point and now they're crying out, Why are we here? We're just going to die. There's an army behind us and a sea in front of us. God does not lead us to leave us. You may be in a difficult situation today. You might feel that it is difficult to trust God. You might feel that indeed there is no way out. But don't forget the Lord's faithfulness in your life. Sometimes we read the stories of the bible were like i can't i don't believe i can't i can't believe the israelites after the 10 plagues after the 10 plagues they are still questioning i mean they they got the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of five chris i'm just telling you if i if i got out uh my house in the middle of the night and there was a pillar of fire right there and it just kind of i would follow it no questions asked if i walked out in the morning and there's a pillar of cloud i would follow it here's the deal we see the sunrise and the sunset every day, and we still have trust issues. Sunrise and sunset is just a supernatural. And by the way, we have something that Moses cannot even comprehend. Because while, while, while the Spirit was manifested in that pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, that was an external manifestation of the Spirit of God. And according to the New Testament, when we say yes to Jesus, we have the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need external trappings. We've got internal realities. He doesn't lead us to leave us. I know, listen, we go through the dark night of the soul. We walk through the valley of shadows, and it can be tough. That's why we've got to fix our minds on things. But that's why we say every week that we've got to be people of prayer and people in the word, and you've got to be people of Christian community. Some of you, here, here's. let me jump to the end. Next step, you need to change your friend circles. You, you need to keep relationships with those people so you can tell them about Jesus, but they don't need to be the people that you're spending all your time with. It's hard to continue to seek God and trust him when we spend no time with him. And so here the people of Israel find themselves on the banks of the Red Sea wondering what they've gotten themselves into. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud because it's Sunday and we have to have our Sunday school answers, right? Just answer honestly in your head. Have you ever gone through something in life? And it just didn't go the way that you, like you prayed about it. You really, I mean, and you know, you prayed for the job, you didn't get it. You prayed for the promotion, someone else got it. You prayed for the relationship, and and, and you didn't get one. You prayed that, that the relationship wouldn't end, and it did. You prayed for a child, and you haven't had one. You you've prayed for that nagging loneliness to go away, and you, you just prayed and prayed for something, and and it did not go your way. And and have you ever kind of just felt that this whole faith thing? It's just a gigantic letdown. Have you ever found yourself just, just going through the throes of life and feeling that this whole faith journey thing is really one gigantic letdown? If you're honest, many of us would say yes. That we have at some point in time, if we're honest, felt that the faith journey is actually a letdown because anytime I take one step forward, it feels like I'm taking three steps back. Can I speak to that just for a moment? There's a reason why sometimes we tend to feel that, that, that God has led us somewhere just to leave us there. And, and one of, I believe, one of the main reasons we feel that way is because unfortunately today, there is a, a plethora of bad preaching. Praise God, not here, amen. But there is, in other places, bad preaching. No, it's all right, I mean, whatever. I mean, I don't want, I'm not looking for it, but... Listen to me, this is what I mean. You can find, usually they have a level of celebrity. You can find preachers that will say, hey, really when you come to follow God, your bad days are over and you don't go through difficulties. And every day is going to be a Friday. And by the way, if you want to give to my ministry so I can buy a jet, that's cool also. <laughs> and what, this is what's happened for many people, particularly in the American church. We have viewed faith as a possession to lay hold of. I have laid hold of this possession called faith. And because I have this possession, I will be protected from bad stuff. That's God's obligation. I have done my part. I've laid hold of this possession. By the way, that's called a rabbit's foot. And so we lay hold of this possession of faith, and, we, and things are great at first, and we're on cloud nine, but then the marriage gets hard, or the finances fall apart, or we lose our job, or our kids wild out, or we just feel depressed like we did before, and now we're like, how could I trust God? He's just a big letdown. I laid hold of this possession called faith, and I'm still going through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm still going through the dark night of the soul. I thought this possession was supposed to protect me. When biblically, don't miss this. This is good stuff, by the way, just so you know. Biblically, faith is not a possession that we lay hold of. It's a presence that we're involved with. It's not that I lay hold of something that means I don't have bad days. It means I get a part of someone who sees me through the bad days. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And there are churches filled with people that if they're honest think that faith is a giant letdown. Because they think they have possessed something when in fact they've been given the presence of someone. God does not lead you to leave you. And sometimes we've got to reorient our thinking. So that we know he is still with us. He has not forsaken us. And that only happens through the disciplines of the faith. The consistent prayer life. The time in his word. The Christian community. The practices of generosity. Those types of things are what keep us grounded. So that we will know even when it seems like there's no way out. God is still leading and loving and many times we may find ourselves like the Israelites. God says to Moses in verse 15, why are they? Cry? Why are you crying out to me? And it's really kind of a weird thing for God to say because there's lots of passages in Scripture where we are told to cry out to God. Like, you know, cast your cares upon me, you know, cry out to God. We, we are told. And so it seems kind of contradictory, but here's the reality. We do cry out to God. But sometimes after we have cried out to God, we need to carry out what he's told us to do. We cry out, God responds, and then we carry out that which he has said. That's what God is saying. He's not saying that he doesn't care. He's saying, why, why, why are you crying out to me? I have told you, set up camp. Don't worry. I've got this. Beloved, many of you are going through very real, very difficult circumstances that I will not pretend to understand all of it. But if you have said yes to Jesus, it might be time for you to start carrying out what you know God has already spoken for you to do. Let's get back in the text, Exodus 14, starting in verse 16, to wrap this up. God would say this to Moses, As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither group came near the other all night long. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and, the, and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground When the waters, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and went into the sea after them. During the morning, watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Check that out. The polytheistic Egyptians are like, let's get away from these fools because their God is not like our God. He is fighting for them against us. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. "'while the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, "'and the Lord threw them into the sea. "'The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, "'plus the entire army of Pharaoh "'that had gone after them into the sea. "'Not even one of them survived. "'But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground "'with waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. "'That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, "'and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore.'" When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. A sea in front of them, an army behind them. What did God do? God turned a dead end into a doorway. Number three. When we feel there's no way out, no way forward, when we feel that it is impossible to trust God, Understand this, that which appears to be a dead end for you is a doorway for God. You know, just as a side note, there are some people and they make it their life's mission to discredit all the miraculous stories of the Bible. There are some people that... They don't deny the exodus of the Israelites. There's a lot of historical evidence of that. They don't deny the, exo- the the exodus of the Israelites. What they deny is that God parted the Red Sea. And so some scholars, what they would say is they would say, well, you know, what ha- they didn't actually come up to the Red Sea. They came up to the Reed Sea. And the thing about the Reed Sea is that where schol- some of these, you know, the, these people that want to debate God's miraculous power, they would say that where they cross the Reed Sea, it's only about ankle-deep water, knee-deep water. I'm like, okay, that's great. So then God drowned the Egyptian army in ankle-deep water. Great. Still a miracle. Uh, and so, anyway, you slice it, right? It's pretty miraculous. But as the story goes, and we're familiar with it, God would, would provide a way where there was no way. And beloved today, you may feel that you're in a situation where there is no way out and no way forward. God's provision is with you. His protection is over you. He has not left you alone. You know, some interesting things shifted in the nation of Israel between the beginning of Exodus 14 and the end. Namely, when they were crying out to Moses, why did you lead us here to die? There are no graves in Egypt. What they were doing is they were seeing the pursuing Egyptian army and they were fearful of Pharaoh and his army. You get to the end of Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. It says that the Israelites, having seen the Lord's power, feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. You know what happened? Their fear was shifted from man to God. Some people say, well, you know, when the Bible talks about fearing God, it's talking about respect. We absolutely should have reverence and respect for the Lord. But guess what the word fear means in Hebrew? Fear. It means to be afraid of. We've created a false dichotomy to say that if we fear God, then we can't draw close to him. Beloved, I I am thankful that the Lord blessed me with the father I had in this life. He's already gone on to be with the Lord, amazing man of God, hero of the faith for me. But growing up in my home, I never doubted my dad's love for me, but you better believe I had a healthy dose of fear of that man. It's a false dichotomy to say that if you have a healthy fear of something, an actual fear, that that means that, that that person does not love you or do not love that person. No one should be able to understand as best we can the power of God and not have a healthy respect of fear. Now listen, I'm not saying that, that we cower or that we don't draw close. Even though God is all-powerful, he welcomes us into his presence. The answer isn't foolishness. There's people today who are like, oh, I don't fear nothing. Well, that, oh, you should fear God, <laughs> right? Like, oh, you can't judge me, only God can. That may not be what you want, buddy. It's, it's perfectly natural. Now, listen, we should not let fear paralyze us, and we should not let fear capture us, but it, it's a healthy part of life. Guess what? Every time I'm within striking distance of a rattlesnake, this fool is scared of it, Okay? You're like, "Oh, you shouldn't be." Well, good for you, right? Call me when you need anti-venom. Anyways, like that that it's foolishness, right? And a a categorical shift in the people of Israel is they were fearful of of Pharaoh and his army, as was Moses in Exodus 1 and 2, he ran to Midian out of fear of Pharaoh. But when our fear is shifted from man to God, it is not that we are a cowering people. It is that we know who is on our side and who we belong to. We know that our God takes dead ends and turns them into doorways. You know what the struggle was for Israel? Israel looked in front of them and saw a sea. They looked behind them and they saw an army. What they weren't doing is looking to God. And many times, beloved, when we feel there is no way out, the problem is that we have forgotten that the answer is bigger than the problem. The answer to all of our struggles is Jesus, and he's always bigger than whatever it is that's in front of you. That doesn't mean you don't got real things in front of you. Some of you have gone through hardships, you've buried loved ones, you've lost jobs, you've gone through tragedies. It doesn't mean they're not real, it doesn't mean they don't hurt. Jesus would say, blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. But to remember that no matter what we face in this life, Jesus is bigger, positions us that even when it seems there's no way out, we know there still is because God has the final say, that he wipes away the tears. He does away with death and mourning and pain. The Israelites saw a dead end with the sea in front of them, and they saw death with the army behind them. But what do we know about our God? God would take his own son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and he would go to a cross and he would give up his life. And a lifeless body of Jesus, that which was dead, would be placed in a tomb with a stone sealed in front of it that man could not move. So you've got death and dead ends. You've got a dead Jesus inside of a stone-locked tomb. That's a dead end. We know that they didn't anticipate anyone actually being, even though they put guards, they didn't anticipate anyone actually getting to the body of Jesus because the stone rolled in front of it would have been so great. But you know, here's the problem, is that the God we serve takes dead ends and turns them into doorways, even death, because when we breathe our last breath, when we've got Jesus in our hearts, that's also not a dead end, that's a doorway to eternal life. And and, and this is what happens. You see, Satan and the Roman guards, they thought they had it all figured out. They put a huge stone in front of the tomb with a dead Jesus inside of it. They thought, that they, thought they had a dead end sealed because they thought there was no way that anyone on the outside could get past the guards and roll that heavy stone away. What they didn't account for is that God had an inside man plan, right? Jesus rolled the stone away from the inside, not the outside, so that death does not become the final say. Death does not become a dead end. It becomes a doorway to eternity with him. When you face situations and you feel there's no way out, Think about the fact that Jesus has saved you because if he has overcome death for you, he can overcome whatever is in front of you. Dead ends become doorways. And when we feel trapped and we feel like we can't trust God because this whole thing is just a letdown, don't forget the end results. God's got this. He's going to use this for his glory. He's not forgotten you or forsaken you. You will walk through the valley of shadows, but if you've got Jesus, you will not walk through it alone. And so what do we do? How do we take the information and make it application? A few things I would encourage you with today. Here's the first thing. I think there are some of us in this room and online, and what you've got to do is you've got to do business with your hard heart. You've given your life to Jesus. You've got the security of salvation, but you have allowed the hardness of heart to creep in. And if, you, if you're not careful, it is going to hurt those around you. You think you can hold on to that bitterness. Maybe it's a family member, a loved one, a spouse, a sibling. Maybe it's someone in this room. You know, the funny thing, 1 Corinthians 13 is not, there, there's a part of 1 Corinthians 13 that gets like quoted at every wedding, it seems. But, but 1 Corinthians 13 isn't a marriage passage. It's a church passage. Paul is addressing the body of Christ when he says, love is kind, love is patient. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. And you think that you can keep that bitterness towards your brother or sister in Christ in your heart and it not damage you and others? You think you got your fire insurance to avoid hell and so you can live like hell now and that's not going to damage people? And here's the scary part. You keep living with that hard heart. You don't know when God's just going to give you over to it. And so maybe some of us today, you need to come forward to this altar here in just a minute. And you need to get on your knees and ask God to soften that hard heart. To remind you of the depth of his love. To remind, maybe that heart's gotten hard because you have felt that you're in front of a dead end. And you felt that way for a long time. Maybe you went through a painful divorce and you feel like that's just the way things are going to be. And you've been branded. Listen, God can make that new as well. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. Maybe you've had financial distress. You've had kids that have gone off living like prodigals. Maybe you carry this despair in your heart, and you're like, I can never be any good for God. And that's just a dead end you got to let become a doorway. Because if you don't, it'll harden your heart. We'll have prayer ministers here in the room. You can message us online. So first thing, maybe you need to think about the condition of your heart. Is it hard or is it open? you need to ask yourself, what are, what are you doing with your past hurts and doubts? If you want to move past them, let God use them. Let God use them. There's not a person in this room or online that cannot be used by God. What what are the, the dead ends in your life right now? What are those situations you feel that You've created or others have created And you just think there's there's just no moving forward Would you trust God with that? Maybe for some The dead end is The relationships you're choosing to keep in your life And God's got a doorway Of life to the fullest for you But you've got to walk away from some things Of this this flesh and this world Maybe for some there There are patterns of addiction That continue to get their hooks in you And it's substances, it's pornography It's Bad relationships. Here's the thing. As long as you let those hooks get in you, it's going to always be a dead end. But God has a doorway of freedom and healing and wholeness for you. Maybe there's steps of obedience, like walking out of a relationship. There's steps of obedience of starting to be generous with your resources. Steps of obedience of finding Christian community. Maybe maybe you need to say yes to baptism today. You've said yes to Jesus. You've been withholding that step of obedience. But maybe there's someone in this room or watching online, and the dead end in front of you is the fact that you have not given your life to Jesus Christ yet. And here's the deal. If you go through this life and you reject Jesus, then that dead end, it does become a doorway, but it becomes a doorway to eternity without hope. The Bible's clear, we can't do anything in our own power. We can't be good enough, religious enough. The Bible's clear that the answer to our problems is not religious activity, it's relational identity. As Paul would write to the church at Rome, that if anyone believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, that person will be saved. And so today, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you don't know that you've secured your eternity, and it's not about, you know, someday, you know, sweet by and by, pie in the sky, it's about God changing your reality right now. If you've been feeling him knocking on the door of your heart, you've been feeling the Spirit speaking to you and you've been resisting what if today is the day of salvation and so if you don't know where you stand before a holy God because you don't know if you have the relational identity of Jesus secured in your heart then right where you are I'm going to invite you to pray with me the prayer is not a magic formula it's a confession of salvation and so if you're in this room or you're watching online I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we get ready to worship and today if you want to say yes to Jesus if today you want the assurance of salvation in your life, if today you want the ultimate dead end of death to become a doorway to life, then right where you are, just say this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I'm lost without you, but I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. And I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and he paid for sin. I believe three days later he rose again in victory. And Jesus, today I trust you with my life and I ask you to be my savior. you help me live for you every day thank you for loving me first it's in your name that I pray amen